Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and you are listening to the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a normal book club, except you don't have to share your snacks. This month, we are talking about Samir Pandya's Members Only. There's a spoiler-free interview with Samir in the feed, so if you haven't read the book yet and you are a spoiler-averse human, that episode is a great place to start. If you haven't read the book and you're like, I love spoilers, they're the best, then you are totally in the right place because we are going to unpack it all. I am so excited about our guests this month. Here to talk about the book, we have Jade Chang, author of the delightful Life's Gone Wrong, so let's hit the road novel, The Wings Versus the World. Hey, Jade. Hi. Thanks for having me. I wish I'd thought to bring snacks, though. (laughs) I should have told you to bring snacks. Next time. (laughs) Next time. We also have Alicia Rye, who writes romance novels with substance, most recently The Right Swipe and Girl Gone Viral. Alicia, hey. Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for me as well. Oh, my gosh. I am so excited to have both of you. You're some of my favorites. So I think this is going to be pretty great. And, of course, we are also going to hear from you. Let's hear a little preview of some of the voicemails we got. Hi, Nerdette. This is Jane from Florida. Hi, this is Liz from Roseville, Minnesota. Hi, Nerdette. This is Sarah in Austin, Texas. Thank you for getting members only on my bookish radar. I just wanted to say that I absolutely loved members only. This was a really wonderful book. Pretty good start, I think. So the quick synopsis of members only is that it takes place over the course of more or less a week, and it's about Raj, who's a middle-aged professor. He's Indian-American, and he's asked to be on the committee to help find new members for the tennis club that he's a part of. And he's really excited to help make the club more diverse. And I just want to leave it there for now. We can unpack it. But first, since you two are both in Southern California, I thought it would be interesting to ask if either of you is a tennis person. Jade? Uh, so I actually just started playing tennis again after not having touched a racket in at least 15 years. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's very fun. But also I was on the tennis team in high school, but that does not mean I'm good at tennis. It means that my high school was so bad at tennis that there was no one to be on the team. So... I was so bad that the first game that I ever played, um, neither of us knew how to keep score and (laughs) the players had to keep their own score. So (laughs) that's how bad it was. What inspired you to pick it back up? Uh, You know, it's a good quarantine sport. It's very socially distanced. Yeah, there you go. Man, that's so cool. I love that. So what about you, Alicia? Uh, no. Zero <laughs> percent? My idea of, like, athleticism is, like, yoga and shopping, so I'm not, <laughs> this is not uh, my sort of bag. Uh, I, the, like, the only sport I've ever really played, like, you know, in high school or college was volleyball, and it was sort of forced upon me. Um, so this is, this was, like, a different, a bit of a different world for me. I'm not, uh, my nephews play tennis, but, you know, they're, like, seven and nine, so I just go mm-hmm. watch them stare at, like, the for the sky and that's about it (laughs) that's my familiarity with that's funny I feel like I'm kind of in between both of you my grandma was like a tennis coach she was a like she was a pro tennis player wow and and she and my dad still is super into tennis Uh and especially as a lefty when I was a little kid my grandma was super into like you're gonna do this but it just never stuck for me so I played Uh softball till I started my period is pretty much what happened (laughs) As you do. Well, we can we can have drinks at the tennis club. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We can all hang out by the pool. That sounds. Mm-hmm. I am a strong swimmer, so we can. Yeah. <laughs> well, there we go. I'm yeah. glad we found an activity that works. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so uh, this story starts on a Sunday evening. And I think partly what's so... I mean, there are a lot of things that I really loved about this book, but we like dive right into into the plot, into mm-hmm. what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I mentioned we've got Raj. He's an anthropology professor. And I think the phrase that's even used in the book is that he's really looking forward to darkening the club. Like it's a super white space. Mm-hmm. And and he thinks that this is really a great opportunity for him to like help diversify things. Mm-hmm. And a couple things happen. The first one I think that's worth noting is that when he when they're interviewing a white family, at the end of it, a white lady calls him Kumar. Mm-hmm. And he corrects her, but there's kind of this awkward moment where he sort of like wonders if any of the other white people in the room are going to stand up for him and nobody does. Which I think is noteworthy, especially when you take into consideration something that happens later in that same evening, which is that a black couple comes to interview and Raj is thrilled, right? He's like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, these people are so great. They would be such a wonderful addition. Here's like a friend that I could have who also kind of feels like an outsider in this space. And he like in this very strange moment uses the N word in what Mm -hmm. is like intended to be like a joking kind of like camaraderie thing. But like it it just bombs like immediately. Mm -hmm. It's clear that like and he knows he's also very aware that like he did not make the right call in that moment. Mm hmm. And, like, it's awkward. The rest, it ends. They take off. And this lady, Suzanne, who's one of the tennis club members, is like, dude, you need to resign from this committee. She's pretty much just, like, immediately, here is here is how you need to fix this situation. And he's, he, I think he literally says fuck that to her. He's sort of like, mm-hmm. like, let me deal with it, essentially. It's like, I'm a grown man. I know how to deal with problems. I, I'll figure it out. And then he heads home. And... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, how how cringy did y'all find that series of interactions? I guess is where Ooh. I would love to start. I mean, so cringy. I mean, that yeah. was, I was so impressed with the beginning of this book. I mean, I love the book in general, but the beginning uh-huh. really, I thought was so good because it just sets up, I think the fact that also, I forget the name of um, the couple who, the black couple who came in, but- The um, Browns. Oh, right. The Browns. (laughs) But, you know, the fact that they are set up as being just exceptional in every way, you know, they're exceptionally good looking. They're exceptionally talented. They're also very wealthy. They're both doctors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He played tennis in college. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's a real athlete. They're kind of by any measure kind of better than everyone else in the room. Mm hmm. Which I think like makes the tension that much more interesting when it's like when the kind of white people of the club like throw their loyalties immediately towards the people that they have never met. Right. And I just think it immediately illustrates the fact that right now for you know, a lot of white people in America, the idea of being called a racist is far worse than being racist. Right. And I think it illustrates that really adeptly. Yeah. Yeah, I think it really does too. Alicia, what was your take on like that first chapter? You know, it really does such a good job of just like pulling you in. He really started Mm -hmm. in the exact you know, we agonize over this, I think, as authors, like, where do you start your story? And I think he started mm-hmm. at exa- the exact right point. Um, I had sort of like a visceral reaction when I read, you know, what he said. And sure. it was, it was, you know, because on the back cover or whatever, it just says like a racist joke. And right. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize. Yeah, that's like, oh, yeah. okay, yeah. <laughs> we're doing yeah. this. Like, you know, I had a bit of a whiplash. And I think especially for me, because, you know, this is kind of, an issue that we face in the South Asian community. Like, you know, my sister and I even joke mm-hmm. about like South Asian boys from the Bay using the N word all the time. And you huh. know, here we are in this book with the South Asian guy from the Bay area <laughs> using the N word. Like, what? you know, and I, and so I think over the course of my life and just like, you know, being out in the world and having to deal with this culture and like dating these guys sometimes and, you know, finding this out about them, 
I've developed like a zero tolerance policy on it. Like, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and so when I read it in there, my immediate reaction was just like, I don't want to read, you know, like I I almost had like, "Mm, like, I don't like this person anymore. Like I'm, you know, I'm done because I, Mm -hmm. I had just had to sort of develop that because it's such a issue that we have. And, you know, like I think a community wide issue that we have. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was my initial reaction. And, you know, but then I was like, no, I'm going to, it's such a it's a good book you know like it's well written I'm gonna keep yeah yeah see where it goes but sort of my immediate gut was like oh I can't yeah 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 it was really hard to read it I think one thing I appreciated about it though is that like Raj is never he's not perfect you know like that's very clear throughout the book right like he makes Mm -hmm. a series of pretty bad decisions and in some cases he even kind of doubles down on those bad decisions yeah but you know I think I, I find it helpful to read books like this where he's not like your model minority, though. Right. Right. And you can yeah. still empathize with the fact that like he's dealing with a lot of really difficult things and it's all building up in a in a really powerful mm. way. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a very real situation. Right. Like I can totally see. I mean, Alicia, I knew I know those guys, too, you know, and I can totally see one of them getting themselves in this situation for sure. And I absolutely I mean, that was like one of the issues that I had sort of ongoing in the book. And I won't jump ahead, um, you know, with some of the like comments to to Raj, where, you know, the idea wasn't so much like, okay, think about the hurt that you caused them. Think about like the trauma that you might have mm. had them relive. It was like more focused on him and his mm-hmm. like, Personal you know, like at some point his wife said like, why did you say it out loud? You know? And I was like, <laughs> I think that is my, my struggle with Raj, but you're right. Like in a lot of ways, you know, I went back and forth on him. Um, and, and it, the book is just so well written that it forces you to do that. Yeah, I think so too. So uh, we have the next day, mon- Monday mm-hmm. morning, uh, we meet Raj's family. He's got two young sons and we get a little bit of backstory on Raj's teaching career. And he he's obviously fired up from what happened the night before mm-hmm. to the point where even act- after his lecture, his TA calls his lecture combative, mm-hmm. which, you know, is loaded in its own way. But I do think it's interesting just in terms of like, and he doesn't disagree, right? Like he's kind of, it seems like he's sort of looking for a fight now. Mm-hmm. And he finds out that an old friend who became a super successful poet is visiting campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets two visitors to his office hours. And the first one is Robert, who ends up being a, a pretty significant character. Mm-hmm. What was y'all's take on that interaction? Yeah, what a weirdo, right? Like, I don't yeah. very... Something very chilling about him. Yeah, like, immediately I was just kind of like, hmm, this feels off. Like, the whole thing kind of fell off. Well, and how much is it, is it just because Raj is about to eat this sandwich and feels weird about it and ends up offering some, which, like, that happens all yeah. the time, right? You're in a weird situation. You're eating something. You feel bad. You offer it to a person. But how often does the person actually say, you know what? Uh, rarely. I would love to eat some of that. <laughs> I think that was, that was, I think the part that threw me where he like, then, and I, then he said it like cut it, he cut it with a knife. And I was like, so it wasn't even in pieces. Like it wasn't even <laughs> easy to offer. What? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think he was like, I, I think, you know, the author did a great job. I think of signaling early on, like this guy's going to probably be a problem. So I was kind of, mm-hmm. like, he's going to violate your boundaries. Yeah. I was like <laughs> waiting for him to like become a stalker or, you know, something mm-hmm. along those lines. Cause I was yep. just like, anybody who, you know, takes your, takes your half of a sandwich in the middle of office hours, you know, like watch out for that one. <laughs> and yeah, he just like asks weird questions about his salary and, you know, some like, borderline racist stuff about like why he isn't like a doctor or an engineer you know just stuff that's like oh god like dude no but he leaves Mm -hmm. because there's another student waiting and I thought that interaction with the other student was kind of lovely do y'all remember that bit I'm pretty sure how it goes is that he's also Indian American but he's Christian oh okay and and the lecture was about kind of how cheap western Christianity often is Mm -hmm. And and how how revered the East sort of is for like it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, stronger sense of spirituality, if you will. And and uh, and yeah, this kid comes in and he's he's essentially says like, hey, I, I found that kind of hard to to hear because I mm-hmm. represent something contrary to the argument you just made. 
And Raj is delighted because he's like, you know, he, he says essentially like this is the kind of conversation that I've been waiting to have this whole time. Right. right? Like yeah. he loves the idea of being able to respectfully engage in some ideas with mm-hmm. someone who's also willing to respectfully and like they can totally disagree. And this person can completely defy the argument that he's making. And that's totally OK. Mm-hmm. And and both of them seem to leave completely fine with the interaction that they've just had. Yeah, it's that. Which, I, I don't know. I think is noteworthy these days just because like so often that's not how those go anymore, right? I don't know. I think that the things that we hear about in the public sphere don't go like that. But I think that in individual relationships, yeah, I'm sure you still get like healthy intellectual sparring. <laughs> Right. That's true. I think it also helped that like the conversation that he and was it David? I think his name was David. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, that he and David had was like free of belittling. Like there was no, right. you know, undercurrent of like, you know, discrimination, no microaggressions. Yes. It was yes. very much like, you know, you said That's this true. thing in class. This is where I'm coming from. This is my mm-hmm. background. Can you explain further or can we like engage in a dialogue? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, I think, you know, sometimes trolls come at you and they're like, oh, you don't want to engage in a dialogue. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, well, you just call me names, so I can't, <laughs> you know, like you right, really right. on the dialogue. Right. So, you know, the minute I think you do that, it, it, or like, you know, you're, you're advocating for me being hurt or for someone I love being hurt. You know, I can't mm-hmm. engage in dialogue on those things. But when you're right, if you don't feel safe. Right. Yeah. But like when, when this guy came in, he just said, this is where I'm coming from. Can you mm-hmm. explain? Like, let's talk. And and I think that is like what in its purest form, you know, like a college campus, you know, right. or a student relationship should be, uh, you know, you should be able to go to your professor and say, you know, you've taught me this, but this is my world experience. Let's engage in a, in a conversation about it. And I think that, that was lovely. I think it was really nice. Well, I think the yeah. thing that was exciting about it was something that I think Samir does so well is he really, um, you know, you would think a book about a tennis club, it's like insiders and outsiders, like, let's see how it mm-hmm. all down, right? Mm-hmm. But I think he kind of places those insider outsider lines, you know, they're like constantly shifting, which makes it so much more interesting. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And yeah, it's, it was funny, because I don't know, I almost, I wouldn't have been surprised if this book were only about what happened with him at the tennis club, but then to mm-hmm. layer on what happens to him at the university, too. <laughs> mm-hmm is such a fascinating kind of contradiction of terms that we're working with, right? Yeah. So yeah, let's jump ahead to Tuesday. That's when Raj gets a call from his boss, Cliff, who he has never gotten a phone call from. Mm -hmm. And Cliff's like, hey, buddy, I need you to come in later this morning if you can. And of course, just to lay around even more things, first Raj has to get get his annual exam. And there's like a weird looking mole that nobody Mm -hmm. likes. So the doctor's like, yep, we'll do a biopsy on that. This is also where he almost goes to apologize to Dr. Mm -hmm. Brown. Mm -hmm. But he decides, and he's super, like he's in the building. He's about to push the elevator button, but he kind of looks down and he realizes he's in flip-flops and like a ratty Mm t-shirt. And he's like, you know what? Now is not the time. Which, what did you all think about that moment? I mean, I... I I don't know if I can really articulate it so much as it just feels like so much of this is about Raj's insecurities, right? And about like who he thinks he should be in the world. And I really do think that the Browns are like everyone he thinks that he should be in the world. And then here, Mm -hmm. you know, he can't go to them like this. Yeah, it was it was such a hard moment to see because the thing I kept thinking was like, dude, this is, you have this in your control, you know, you can, you can fix this. I know. And he just keeps putting it off yeah. and it's just so agonizing, you know? And it was so frustrating for me because, you know, when he, he turns around and leaves and then he immediately sees the other, one of the witnesses, the other, yeah, the guy from the tennis club, Mark, Mark, I believe. And so, yep. you know, that was just like, you know, there's so many moments in this book where I just feel like a like a cringe, you know, that was one of those moments where I was like, oh, like it had been one thing if he'd gone up, you know, sought his forgiveness, talked to him, Mm. but he didn't do that. He turned around and left. Like he was right there. Mm -hmm. He turned around and left Mm -hmm. and then ran into this other guy, you know, who had seen it and who who knew that he had left without talking to his friend. 
you know, or would know shortly. So yeah, it it is like, so much of it is just like, you want to shake him and go like, come on, do the right thing. (laughs) Totally. So then Raj gets to work and he finds out that videos of his lectures are going viral and comments are exploding and it's just like ugly, nasty people think he's horrible. And it's so hard to see and yet totally unsurprising in terms of like, of course, this is a thing that people would lose their minds about on the Internet, right? Very much so. I mean, people lose their minds over all sorts of things. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I went viral for like a tweet I made about, you know, a date where a guy didn't get me cake pops. And I got like it got put on right wing sites and I got. Wait, the guy didn't get you what? Uh, it was so silly. Um, it was, I'll, re- I'll recap quickly. I'm on a date. The guy like asked me if I wanted anything to drink. You know, I it was Starbucks. He went and he placed his order, and then he ordered two cake pops. And I was like, "Oh, that's nice," because it was like day before Valentine's Day. Got and then it. He ate them both in front of me. He and ate so- them. Both. <laughs> Wait, and that went viral. So I wrote a quick little tweet like, "Ha Like, oh my god, he's a monster, right? Like, just as a joke. mutual ghost yeah, nice so satisfying yeah 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 and so and it's funny actually because like I I was so like put off by this whole thing a few days later that I got like another you know match with this guy and I was like oh I don't even want to go fine I'll go and we've been dating since so oh it's <laughs> nice yeah it's very I'm nice glad there's a happy ending to that like you know I'm not saying like go viral and then meet a guy but like, <laughs> that is no, that sounds awful. Sort of what happened to me, and, and he enjoys all cake pops related jokes. And oh my gosh! <laughs> but, but it is. But no, I don't think the guy I went on the date with ever found out. But it was like it was on Good Morning America. It was on Today. Oh, it, it was the most bizarre experience of my life. My family had a field day with him. But it was. <laughs> but, so what I, is so confusing about that is like even if I was on a very platonic coffee meeting exactly yes yes i understand the cake pops were a metaphor i believe (laughs) it is it is the raj you know like david like this guy comes in robert comes in he's like would you have my sandwich like that is basically like it's just a polite thing to do (sighs) but but so i i got it like when when he went viral it's like oh no like he went viral (laughs) in the wrong places this is what happens i know so it was like a, you know, they'll they'll lose their minds over anything, but something Ugh. like this, oof, yeah, you mm-hmm. step on the wrong toes, you're you're cooked, and it really is like he stepped on the same toes I stepped on, <laughs> pretty much. So and Raj, of course, reads all the comments, even though people oh, keep telling him never not do to that, read the comments, which yeah is the worst. <laughs> like, come on, you, you know, yeah. of course. But he recognizes, he sees the name of someone and immediately thinks maybe it's a guy who is really horrible to him in college. Mm. And I don't think we need to get into the details of the college thing just to say the guy was an asshole. And it just, it was, I don't know. I think one thing that I thought that this book did really well that I think I can relate to, to a certain extent as a woman, but not entirely as a white woman, is just the idea of like the 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 way indignities consistently pile up you know mm-hmm. and it's like you 
you get mildly harassed so many times that like the moment you actually lose your shit at somebody mm-hmm. isn't necessarily because of the thing that person just said to you even right mm-hmm. it's because of like decades of bullshit <laughs> And there are a number of kind of flashbacks that this book has. And sometimes I thought the flashbacks kind of bogged down the the pacing of the plot otherwise. Mm-hmm. But I did appreciate their function in terms of making us realize that nothing that was happening to this man, you know, Sunday through Friday of this week mm-hmm. is in a vacuum, you know? Mm-hmm. I really, I can't remember when it came, but I did really appreciate the flashback of, um, the apartment building that he lived in when he was young. And- yes, that's actually in the section too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I thought it might have been. Yeah. It was very heartbreaking. I I almost I'm actually very pro spoilers as as just a a, a moral as choice. a person in the world. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I don't know. This flashback was so good that I feel like we should actually leave it for people to read. Okay. Cool. And what's neat is that flashback is actually pretty close to what happened in Samir's own life. Oh, oh, that's cool. Which is pretty interesting because, you know, there are there are a number of parallels between like I would say like the rough biographical sketches of Raj, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. growing up in India until he's eight, then moving mm-hmm. to the U.S. Like those kind of big plot points are are similar, which it was fun to talk to him about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I agree. I, I didn't love all the flashbacks. I did think that they you know got in the way of like sort of the story itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you say about you know, it just sort of piling up is, you know, mm. I heard like microaggressions, you know, they sort of call it like paper cuts, right? Like one paper yeah. cut after another, after another, until finally, you know, you're bleeding everywhere. And so that, that is a familiar feeling for me. Like when I, when I saw that, I was like, okay, yeah. Like every time someone kind of like dinged him a little bit, I was like, Ooh. you know, cause it, yeah. it is like a feeling I think we've all had and, you know, and it's something that I kind of prepare for whenever I'm out like if I'm at a conference or a festival or something where I'm going to be interacting with a lot of, you know, people, I'm like, okay, well just, you know, put your armor on and try not to react like, you know, too badly or whatever. And it is very annoying and it's exhausting actually to to have to sort of walk around with that, you know, like ready sort of defense or, or like Mm -hmm. being on guard all the time. Um, Which is why, which is why I also think it's like even more, like why that, you know, his joke or whatever, like I was even more surprised that he did it because I'm like, you know, buddy, like, you know what it's like. I think what was interesting about that joke is that in this book, okay, like in past iterations of this book, what would have happened is that there would have been a perfect white family that Raj just was upset that he didn't have their privilege, was upset that he didn't have their like generations of kind of financial certainty, right? Like that is what an earlier version of this book would have been. And I thought it was really interesting that that it's, you know, that the person that he admires the most and then fucks it all up <laughs> with is um, <laughs> this like handsome black doctor. And it's not, it's not like a revolutionary thing in life right? But it is kind of a revolutionary thing in literature. Like, I feel like it has actually taken a long time for publishers to, or editors, I guess, to realize that, um, you know, people of color might not be lusting for the white world (laughs) in the way Mm -hmm. that uh, they have been you know, kind of portrayed as in the past. And so I think that quote unquote joke was interesting because he saw it as like a bid for familiarity. Mm. And and then, which I'm not saying it justifies it. It does not justify it. But I do think that that is an interesting difference. I I think he, I don't know if he necessarily, I think he lusts for, I think his ambitions have kind of been thwarted in general. So I think he loves that. So like, no matter what I think, you know, cause he does it with white people too, like Josh or whatever, you know, his other colleague at the, um, yeah, right. Right. But I think I, I do think like he, mm. you know, I think he has, I mean, I think they talk about it, right. Like he has insecurities about all of this stuff mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and, you know, 
at the end of the day, like it is, as you said, kind of interesting that they've created, that he's created this very imperfect character. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, I was, I mean, I, I feel like I'm so cautious about like inflicting microaggressions on other people that I feel, mm-hmm. I know how it feels. And, you know, when yeah. it does happen, you know, if I do it indirectly, like I, I feel like a rush to apologize, which is why right. I'm always like reading this was a little bit unique for me because I, I was like, go, go to him. Like, go to him. Right. Yeah, you know, like, don't get annoyed that people are telling Do you to apologize to him. Go to him. So, right. but that, yeah. that was just me sort of bringing my own, you know, my own experience to it. For sure. Well, and I think, Jade, what you mentioned about, like, I think this moment also is interesting in terms of the idea that Raj is allowed in some spaces. He's he's excluded from others. Mm -hmm. I think it takes down a lot of dichotomies, this Mm -hmm. book actually. Totally. Yeah. And you know, one of them also being that like, you're either racist Mm -hmm. or you're not racist. Right. right? And, and I, yeah, exactly. You know, and like, and especially for a dude who like, I think Samir does a pretty good job of explaining that like Raj is just the kind of guy who puts his foot in his mouth, Mm -hmm. you know, like he just, says stuff he shouldn't say sometimes and usually it's not as problematic as it was in this one instance Mm -hmm. but it's also like not necessarily out of character for him that Mm. way yeah so I asked Samir about why he had decided to have Raj wait so long to actually apologize let's listen I'm excited to hear this oh good why why do you think it takes so long for him to apologize to the Browns is it because so many people are telling him he needs to apologize and it's driving him nuts. Yeah. You know, I think on one hand, it is it is absolutely that, right? Which is, it's... Don't tell me what to what I know I need to do. Exactly, right? And don't yeah. tell a grown grown man, you know, or, or a grown woman who is aware of the circumstances they are in, right? That the, the Suzanne early on is so incredibly patronizing about it, right? And, yeah, and, yeah. Um, so that's one thing, but, but that only takes us for so long, right? That only takes us a couple of days. He needs to get over that, right? It's because there's a greater moral demand that he needs to kind of engage with, which is he did something bad and wrong and he needs to rectify it. Yeah. I think one of the ways, what I came to realize in the process of writing this book is that he doesn't because I think Raj is scared. And he's scared that he has messed this thing up, right? Like, I think when Bill Brown comes in... Yeah, he had such high expectations. And because in some ways, and it's it's so unfortunate, right? Is because Bill can't... totally. Bill can't take this on, right? Bill can't be like, hey, I'll be everything you need, right? Right, right. It's the false expectation to put on Bill. But I think that Raj had been going for so long with this kind of hope that something would fix the things that ail him, correct? Yeah. And I think he's scared because he understands that Bill has every right to say, thank you, I do not want to talk to you again. And that the second the apology occurs, he essentially loses that hope that there is another week after this, right? That there is a time when all he wishes is that he and Bill get on a tennis court and hit the ball back and forth. This very simple act. And I think once he apologizes and, you know, hopefully Bill accepts it, I think the fear is that he will not be able to kind of gain this friendship that he so desperately wants. So Alicia, I'm curious, especially given your frustration with with the the lack of apology, does that does that answer satisfy you a little bit at least? It does. Yeah, I love that. Um, I do like that he thought about it. You know, yeah. like I, I like that it was a deliberate authorial choice, which I don't, you know, you don't always get from the book. You don't know if that's, you know, intentional or if it's just, you know, the way it is. So, but I do appreciate, I do appreciate sort of the thought that went into him making that choice. And I get it. Like I empathize with it. So I'm, I'm, I was, I love to hear that. That was a great, that was a great. Oh, snippet. good. I'm glad we managed to wedge it in. Jade, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, sorry, I'm like <laughs> trying to find a way not to say that that's, that's what I thought already. Like, <laughs> to find like a, you like a less say know that's it all, what I thought already. <laughs> a less know-it-all way of saying that. I like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the book where Jade knew it all along. I love it. <laughs> 
Um, but yes, I, I think that one of the most potent parts of the book is how much he wants to be friends with this guy and how much he kind of idolizes this guy. Totally. Yeah, so it makes a lot of sense. All right, we're going to keep talking about the book in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So from there, now we're on to Wednesday. Uh, Raj is going back to work. Things are super intense. This is the point where he sees the flyers Mm -hmm. on the door of his building Mm -hmm. that are like blown up emojis of men wearing turbans. Mm -hmm. Um, And you see, you know, he goes through that kind of like, well, maybe it's not about me. But like, how do you not take that personally? Which Mm -hmm. I think is also just such a heartbreaking moment in terms of just like what it must be like to just deal with this shit all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And we get some backstory on Raj's field work in India. Um, so one thing we haven't talked about too much, I kind of mentioned it at the top, but Raj has two sons and I think it's fair to say they're a bit of a handful, which reminds me of a voicemail we got. So let's listen to it and then we'll talk about it. Here is Jane from Florida. I just wanted to note that I, two of my favorite characters are Raj's sons, Neil and Arun, and I love that even in the midst of this total meltdown in his professional life and his life at the club, he still has to deal with the drama that only little kids can bring to our lives, and the fact that even in the midst of being the subject of a cancel culture, this man is dealing with the same thing that all parents have to deal with day in and day out, and I just loved that detail in the story. Thanks a lot. Looking forward to next month's book club. I think, and I don't know if it's maybe just because I'm a <laughs> heartless, childless woman, <laughs> but I've, I felt like the some of the kids stuff bogged down the storyline a little bit also. Um, so it was nice to hear the perspective of a woman, of a person who was like, mm-hmm. I thought this was really authentic and nice. Where do, where do y'all fall on that? I was just going to say, I'm also a heartless, childless woman. <laughs> I am right with you. <laughs> I, you know, I we call them plot moppets. <laughs> like, just like in romance, where it's just like a kid is there to, like, help the thing along, you know? And so I, I, I'm not a big fan of plot moppets. And so I, I did kind of, like, get a little bit bored by Neil and Arun. I thought they were cute. You know, I liked, I liked mm-hmm. that it showed sort of his, you know... Um, nurturing side like he was definitely a nurturing father which I may not have expected Mm -hmm. so much from his like wisecracking whatever you know personality up till then but then you know I see him like get into bed with his kids like you know help them in school and stuff and I was like oh that's nice like he is very much sort of a touchy-feely father and that's very sweet Um, especially because it you know it doesn't really sound like his parents were like that so I, I did like that part of it, but I, I would have, I could have done with probably less of it. <laughs> Jade, what did you think? Uh, I also have no kids, but I am full of heart. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I, I felt kind of neutral about the kid parts, yeah, honestly. It didn't bug you. It didn't blow yeah. you. Yeah. It didn't blow me away. <laughs> It felt a little bit devicey, you know. Yeah. I mean, one thing I will say that I often think about with uh, especially sort of like our new romance novels where often female characters talk about how much they care about their jobs that we don't actually see them working that often, which is something, Alicia, that I think your books have done very well to sort of like reverse. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Um, But, you know, I, I do think kind of to your point, Alicia, like it would be one thing to have him say that he really cared about his kids. But the fact that we do see him actively parenting and like, you know, realizing the missing Lego that one of the kids is flipping out about was the one he saw in his car and 
Like they are, they are nice moments. Mm -hmm. I will say that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that happens that day is that some students actually go on hunger strike. Like the whole online video thing gets even worse to the point where a batch of students is like, we're not going to eat until Raj gets fired, essentially, Mm -hmm. which sucks. And it's, you know, it's just like, it's just all it escalates to such a fever pitch. And I feel like there are a couple points in this book where you think it's not going to get any cringier and then it does. <laughs> so that gets us to Thursday where Raj starts getting weird calls to his house and he has an like important meeting at work about how he can handle it. And he ends up talking to Robert, who's one of these kids on hunger strike. And it actually seems like a pretty good conversation that the two of them have until Robert essentially he he refuses to say that it was a constructive conversation unless Raj apologizes and that's when Raj is like nope sorry dude like good luck which is such an interesting contrast I think to the other apology that Raj needs to be making but isn't you know what I mean yeah totally I was I was surprised that there was another apology situation when I got to it for sure (laughs) yeah yeah well, and I don't know. I, I feel so differently about both of them also. Yeah, I feel like the whole situation is kind of a good stand-in for, you know, the people who kind of wave their hands and just say, oh, cancel culture. Right, <laughs> then, right. You know, and then you're like, no, there's, it's a nuanced discussion and not, yeah. So, and when you say the people who wave their, you mean people who are sort of like, you're limiting my free speech yeah, this is exactly. ruined. people are losing their jobs, that kind of stuff where yeah. it's it's much more complicated than that, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, Raj goes outside and finds a feast from the mm-hmm. South Asian Student Association, which I just loved that scene. I thought it was really nice. I, it was such good timing, too, because I, I felt like as a reader, we could all use a break, you know, of just like, is there some like, is anybody helping this guy out? <laughs> you know, and the fact that this group had had decided to have a nice meal right outside the building and were able to, like, give him some food and he could connect with them. I, I just thought that was a really lovely moment in the story. What I really loved about that, too, is that group was headed by the Catholic Indian guy. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I just thought, what a wonderful contrast between, you know, here are these, you know, supposed Christians who are angry at him for, you know, saying something in class that they found, you know, whatever, or they were they're pretending they found offensive. And hmm. and this Catholic boy who went and had a decent conversation with him and, you know, is being generous and kind. And I was feeding him, which is the Christian thing to do. You know, at first, at first I was like, I mean, the petty part of me was like, oh, that's funny. They're eating in front of the starving kids. But then I was like, <laughs> oh, but then they offered them food. And you know what? Yep. <laughs> like that is yep. more, that is, you know, a wonderful, wonderful thing for them to show that kind of grace. So I was, really, yeah. I really loved that scene. I mean, I loved everything about it. The parallels, you know, he'd come from talking to Robert and he found this other student that he'd actually had a decent conversation with you know, who understood him, who had, you know, possibly the ability to get as angry about his lecture as anybody else and didn't. So mm-hmm. I just, I loved it. It was such a good scene. Yeah. What a great distinction too, about him being Christian. I hadn't quite thought of that, but that's perfect. Mm-hmm. So, and then after that, Raj goes to buy a gun, mm-hmm. which was when I was like, this is not, this is not the thing to do, man. This was my, I really need to shake this main character moment. Cause it just felt like nothing. And I understood, I mean, speaking of insecurity, I, I, you know, it it was clear that he felt unsafe, right? Like he's getting weird Mm -hmm. calls by this point. He's like seeing, uh, cars follow him that look suspicious, but it's still just like, is this really the solution, man? I, I did, you know, as soon as he started talking about guns, I was like, I was terrified someone was going to get shot. Like, right? I, like, well, like, I don't yeah. I want to keep reading. I'm scared. Like someone's going to get shot and then I'm going to have to like be upset. And, you know, but, um, but yeah, it was, I, I was very anxious. I cannot even imagine like, and I think about, I mean, whenever I, you know, when I was reading this sort of, I was thinking a little bit about my brother and, you know, he's like 20 ish years old and, you know, mm-hmm. born, he was two years old when 9-11 happened. And anytime he like has his mm-hmm. beard, like I am anxious for him. Like I am Oof. so anxious oh, for him. And, yeah. and, you know, 
sometimes like I used to just kind of be like, well, just shave your beard. Like, you know, don't, don't like, I'm so scared for you when you go out and about and you know, you're, you're out in the world. And, and so I got him like a pepper spray, you know, cause he goes like, he doesn't live in like the safest area. And, mm-hmm. and I, I gave him a lecture. I was like, okay, don't let too many people see you with this. Like, I don't want you to get attacked for having it. And so I can't even imagine having him having like a gun in his presence. I'd be so terrified for him. Right. That he owns right. a gun and that somebody might picture him as more of a threat, you know, because, mm-hmm. because he might have a gun in his car or his house or something. Well, like and especially the, right. The fact that this gun ends up in his trunk, in the yeah. trunk of I, his car. The second it was in his car, I was like, oh my God, I'm so like my stomach, like I just kind of yep. popped. Like, cause all I could think about was like my brother, if you know, if he looks a certain way, if he had a gun in his trunk, oh my God, like I cannot imagine what could happen to him. Yeah. And so oh, it is a ter- like I, I I had sort of his wife's reaction where I was like take it back, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Take it back yeah no I don't want to see that so I don't want to see it in this house I don't want it here like take it back you cannot carry it and it is like a double standard right because I probably wouldn't say the same if it was like a white woman buying my gun and be like okay like I don't really love guns but whatever but him I was like Mm-mm, no I'm so scared for you now yeah well and I don't know I mean I. I think too, it, it does just kind of come down to speaking of dichotomies, like whether you think guns are a thing that make you safer or whether you think guns are a thing that makes everything more dangerous mm-hmm. too, you know? And who's holding the gun. Like, and who's holding the gun. I think that yeah. really does matter. Like it does matter who's the armed person and what they look yeah. like. So, yeah. Yeah. You're totally right. Hated well, it. and then, <laughs> I think there's also the issue of like, yes, like the gun for people what the implications are but then also narratively when a gun comes right you know just speaking of Chekhov yeah 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 exactly exactly sure um it just it it sometimes feels like a burden to me a little bit you mean narratively yes yeah I I agree it didn't really go anywhere which I was like I was kind of waiting for it to like make you know come into play and it didn't Mm-hmm. It did not go off. No, Samir off. defied Chekhov in yeah. this book. Yeah, so I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't sure what the. I, I think maybe just to show that he was scared, which again, totally understand <laughs> my experience. But it did ratchet up the anxiety, right? It for right. sure is really like good. a great plot yeah. device yeah. to just make everything much more terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, is that is that like a construction sound or something? The beeping that I'm hearing. Literally. Anytime I do an interview or a podcast, it's just the garbage truck. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it just knows. Yeah. They're like Jade's doing an interview. We should we should drive over. They do not come at any set time. They just come when I'm on the phone. <laughs> so I'm sorry. So yeah, uh, we get to Friday. Raj, the the gun is in the trunk of his car. Essentially, it Mark, who's the doctor who accuses Raj of being racist against. Dr. Brown is furious with Raj for for being so racist. And Raj's response was, I thought it was gorgeous. And I don't know, I just thought it was such a great explanation of like, okay, but then what about all of the things that I've been putting up with in this same place from you for years? Yeah. And I think that really speaks to white people's fear of being called racist right now yeah you know yeah he really went for kind of the thing that would or was calculated to hurt the most because Raj definitely knows that as well you know I feel like yes he has experienced all of these things and I think he also is really mad at himself for keeping quiet yeah I think, you know, he definitely has legitimate grievances, right, against this tennis club. Yeah. It's almost like those grievances, though, came out against the Browns, in a way. Mm. Like, you know, like, he directed it at the wrong people. Yeah. Like, he should have he should have directed all of this at the tennis club to begin with. Yeah. Like, you know, all of this should have come out a while ago. And I understand why it didn't, because I keep quiet in a lot of predominantly white spaces as well. I try not to be in them sometimes, because, sure. you know, it is an issue and so you know I'm kind of like well why are you even like why do you I I mean I get why he's there but like right you know it is so it was kind of frustrating for me to see that because I was like you it's almost like he was trying to compare the two like what I did was as bad as what you've done to me over the years and it's like but 
but you didn't do it to them. You did it to like an innocent third party, which was sort of my frustration. And I, I do feel like, you know, I, I, Suzanne said something like after he gave a speech about Suzanne, like she was one of the you know women who was there. The nag. <laughs> yeah, or Leslie, one of them. Yeah, she, you know, she said like, well, you haven't brought anyone in. You know, like you mm. haven't brought anyone in yeah. diverse yeah. You know, nominee. You have plenty of choices, and I thought that was a really good choice. Um, you know, on Samir's part, part because I do feel like sort of highlights where he's like, well, I want you to do all this, but also I'm just going to be on the committee and approve people. Like, why didn't he bring anyone in? I didn't think about it until she said it. I'm like, yeah. you want to participate in darkening this club, but you know, where are you putting your hand out for the people behind you? Mm-hmm. You know, like, where is that? And I don't, I don't see it anywhere in the book. Like I don't see him, you know, functionally trying to help those who are, who are, you know, brown or black getting into this club, except to sit on that committee. That's and true. Then bemoan, and then bemoan that nobody brings them hmm. forward. Because he doesn't really want to, right? Like he just, I mean, yeah. that's- I don't know if he doesn't want to, or if he's just like kind of like passive about it. Well, I think he wants to live a comfortable life the way they all want to live a comfortable life. That's true, yeah. And he wants approval. Right. I mean, you can tell he desperately wants approval, so so much yes i wonder if part of it too is the idea of him not feeling comfortable enough in the space to take that active of a role i don't know if that feels like a cop-out but it reminds me of a quote from the beginning actually when he's talking about why how he's so happy to be on the on the committee and he talks about how he spent so many years ignoring the fact that the social circles he had been a part of were overwhelmingly white and he tried he just tried not to think about it too hard and that he convinced himself that his presence in those spaces was the start of the change he wanted to see in the world, but that that change never seemed to come. Mm. Uh, But I don't know. I mean, I guess to a certain extent, then you would think that like, then why wouldn't he try to spur actually actively spur on that change instead of assuming that him just showing up is the change they need. Right. Like you being there isn't really enough. Like, I feel like that's, the point that he misses continuously is that, you know, he can, he bemoans it, but then doesn't do anything really. And he feels like comfortable enough with them to like refuse to step down with, from the committee and stuff. So, you know, <laughs> right. That's true. Like that's got true. a certain degree of like comfort there and, and like aggressiveness there that I just feel like at any point he and his wife could have sponsored black and brown and, you know, belong to this, into this club and, and they, and they have it. And, and, right. you know, I just, at the minute she said that, I was like, you know, you're right. Like that is mm. a very good point. Like she kind of followed it up with like a snarky comment that I was like, girl, <laughs> sit down, <laughs> maybe, maybe take your win, but like, still, like, you know, I, I, I got it though. I was like, okay, yeah, I see it. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah. How did you guys feel about his feelings about the club? Like I personally just, didn't want him to want to be part of it at all anyway. Yeah, I mean, I don't, it's something I thought about a lot and it was exclusive spaces have such an allure, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And and it wasn't until reading this book and thinking about just the nature of the word exclusive and how it is literally the opposite of the word inclusive mm-hmm. that, you know, it's just like, it's a fucked up head game, right? Because mm-hmm. that space is especially if the white people and if the gatekeepers aren't interested and really like committed to opening things up and making things different, then it is just going to be the same way. In which case he's just in a space where he feels weird. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he heads out after that meeting and Robert, his stalker is in the parking lot and Raj's wife and kids show up. And you know that gun is in the trunk of that car and it's and and there's a moment where Robert even had seen that the gun was in the trunk of the car mm-hmm. and you just don't know what's going to happen. And it's fucking terrifying. <laughs> Raj does manage to kind of diffuse things and he gets Robert to leave mm-hmm. and then he goes to sit down by the pool and he has a fucking heart attack. <laughs> Which is just like this poor dude. It is just all the things. Yeah. So I really liked everything in the book, including all the things that made me uncomfortable, except for this heart attack. Because it felt just like one thing too many? 
Well, okay, because it felt like, so at the very beginning of the book, when Raj makes his, you know, epic misjudgment, mm-hmm. I I felt like, oh, all right, go Samir, like you're really laying it down, like, let's see how you get out of this, you know? <laughs> so it's like uh, cardiology ex machina is kind of your <laughs> complaint exactly. then? Exactly, exactly. It's just too convenient of an out. Yes. Because, yeah, he ends up in the hospital and who's treating him? Exactly. (laughs) But the amazing cardiologist, Dr. Brown. I mean, this is why people fake illnesses, because they know that everyone will have, you know, sympathy for them. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I kind of I wasn't I wasn't annoyed by it just because I do think it kind of it. It exemplified just how much this dude had gone through you know like it didn't feel unrealistic to me in that sense that like Mm -hmm. his life and just dealing with all of it and even that week was just super stressful you know Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and and the fact that that can have medical realities for people Mm -hmm. too I think is kind of important for some of us to to remember you know like trauma is is real yeah no it didn't feel unrealistic it more just felt like too realistic I don't know it just felt like oh yeah okay fine I mean as soon as he had it I was like okay well I know who's doctor's gonna be (laughs) exactly I think that's what it was he was a cardiologist you had a heart attack Mm -hmm. I got as soon as he like passed out I was like "Ah, I know it's gonna happen Mm -hmm. um of course that's what happened so I get like sort of the convenience aspect of it um and and it sort of led to I, I I didn't mind the heart attack so much but I think it led to like kind of you know, leads to sort of the resolution. And it's not like, it's not the resolution I think that I was satisfied with. And I think partially it's because like, there's a part, you know, where, where Bill saves him and, you know, whatever. And he says something like bad enough that I'd use this word when I thought he was just like a kind, smart man, but he has the gift of life. Mm. So, you know, this is an unforgivable crime. And I thought, oh no, you did not learn. You get it, dude. <laughs> you did not learn the lesson you were supposed to learn over the course of this book. Mm. And, and you know, like it would have, it, it's bad that you used the word. Like, yeah, it, it doesn't really matter, matter who, what kind of person he is. Don't use that word to describe him. It doesn't yeah. matter if he's like a criminal, like, you know, like don't use that word. And so that part, you know, really, really threw me. And I, you know, it was part of, like, I'm glad that they had their like fuzzy moment or whatever, and like not happy about the heart attack, but glad it wasn't a gunshot wound. <laughs> true, so, true. You know, like happy about that. Um, but it really like kind of, it left me a little bit with like a bad taste in my mouth where I was like, I don't think, you know, I, and I, and I don't think he has to learn a lesson at all. You know, literature doesn't require mm-hmm. that, but, mm-hmm. but it did leave me with sort of like dissatisfaction that like you know you didn't quite get it you're so close <laughs> you're so close 95 percent <laughs> that is entirely well and it is there is something kind of funny about like the heart attack causing the change of heart too you know that's just sort right. of yeah like a new lease on yeah. life you know it is it's it's a little it's a little too on the nose yeah it's a little <laughs> cliche Let's listen to a voicemail from Sarah in Austin, Texas. This was a really wonderful book. I am a white person trying really hard to learn about race and how I can be better and show up to make the world safer for people who aren't white. And what are the things that I love about so many of the books that we've been reading in the Nerdette Book Club is how the books are about race, but they are about so much more. People can read books like White Fragility, which just like come straight at the topic. What I really loved about this book is how it was about race, and yet it wasn't about race. And I really loved how complex his relationship to racism was how he found himself feeling violent and hostile when he felt very surprised by those responses in himself and how he, he navigated that. Um, It was really great. It was really great. And I am excited to be able to recommend this to my friends who are also doing this work on themselves and with their families and their communities because I think this is what racism lived looks like, actually. 
it's not it's not an academic presentation of the history of race in the United States or even India. It is the life lived by a person of a race and how that is experienced by that person in those moments. I just loved that sentiment also as a white woman, because I do think this can be just, you know, a novel like this can be just as powerful a teaching tool as a lot of the nonfiction books, especially recently that people are, you know, saying to read. And I, I just think it's such a valuable conversation to be having, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I had my issues with the book, you know, I, but at the same time, like, I'm really glad that we're seeing more voices represented because in that case, you know, not every book has to be everything to everybody. You know, like this character, I don't have to resonate with him perfectly in order for, you know, him to be out in the world and for people to see like, okay, this is, this is just another perspective and another way that people live. So I'm, you know, mirrors and windows, right? Like you Mm -hmm. want more of those in the world. So, you know, just, it was very, parts of it were enjoyable, parts of it challenged me, but yeah, I I was glad to see So you're not mad at me for asking you to read it? Not at all. <laughs> I'm a little annoyed with Raj, but that's not. <laughs> and now, Jade, you had actually read it before I asked you to read it because you you blurbed this book. So when did you first come across it? I did. I blurbed the book. Um, I read it maybe a year ago or so. I can't remember now. But time. Uh, yeah, time. Time all squished together. Uh, yeah. And I mean, it definitely has become just like more and more relevant, but I want to kind of go back to that last voicemail, which, Mm um, you know, I thought I'm so glad that, 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 that reader found, like found a lot to kind of illuminate her study of racism and everything. Uh, But one thing she says at the end, but you can read these textbooks and, but that this felt like an account of what it was, would be like for a person of a race, which is, I believe what she said to, to, uh, you know, kind of deal with racism in America. Mm -hmm. And I just want to offer a gentle reminder Mm -hmm. that being white is also a race. Yes. And that kind of examining your own actual lived experiences and realizing that that whiteness is not just a sort of standard. Yeah. But is itself a culture. Um, Is also an important part, I think, of, you know, of kind of understanding your role in America, kind of having a greater understanding of the history of racism. I just, I think it's, I think it's really important. And I think that it is something that kind of gets overlooked a lot. Yeah, no, I I appreciate the gentle reminder because it's a good one. It's a really good one. Um, Let's listen to another voicemail from Liz in Minnesota. I'm really, really thinking about the idea of what is racism and who gets to define it. And it goes back because I've been listening to a lot of uh, Professor Ibram X. Kendi talks about like in order to talk about racism, we have to define it. And I, I believe that if you asked Raj, if you asked like Alex and Holly, the two students from college, if you asked the membership committee of the club to define racism, you'd end up with three different answers. And that's really a big piece of this novel um, is what is racism and who's defining it and who gets to call it racism and what is it going to take to change it. And then finally, I thought Dan was such a perfect distraction from the heaviness of the novel without being a lighthearted character. Because in any other novel, like a college professor who is uh, living in his office because his wife doesn't want to talk to him for a full week, like that could be the basis of your whole novel. So I really appreciate this novel. I'm still processing it. um, And I can't wait to hear the book club discussion this week. I think that's that's another voicemail that I think just kind of speaks to those same themes, which I don't know. I think anytime we're having that conversation, it's it's good, you know? Yeah. So, Jade, because you actually played tennis, one thing we like to do when we're wrapping up these conversations is to give like a like a rating to the book. And we like to choose like weird thematically appropriate uh, scores 
Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking maybe this time around we could do tennis scores, but I actually don't understand how tennis scores work. Do <laughs> you? But as I mentioned before, <laughs> I do not. You totally know. did mention this before. <laughs> I will fail in this. I know there's the word love in there. Love is zero. I do have right? a lot of love for the book. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Oh, that's also, fair. If well, you want, we could rate it um, in John McEnroe's as a. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I met John McEnroe. You did? Well, yeah, because my fucking grandma knew him for some reason. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> it was super weird. He, I got his autograph, and I all I remember is that my grandmother was like, that guy was not a nice guy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know. I'm conflicted about the John McEnroe rating system. He was great in Never Have <laughs> I Ever. Rated in Serena's, to be honest. Oh yeah, let's. Should we do Serena's? How about how about out of five Serena's? I love out of five Serena's. Okay. I think it's okay. perfect. Okay. It's so good. Um, Alicia, you want to start? You know, uh, before Samir's little blurb, I would have I would have said like three point seven, three point eight, mm-hmm. but I I'm gonna nudge it up to four now. Nice. I think it's four. Four solid Serena's for me. You know, I I like that he, you know, made that choice deliberately, sort of, instead of it just being, you know, sort of an unconscious choice. And and it satisfies me a little bit more because I was left unsatisfied with parts of Raj's arc. So, so yeah, four, four solid Serena's. Nice. I'm glad Samir was able to nudge that up a little. That feels <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I like four stars too. I think, or Serena's. I think I'm going to give this four Serena's. Jade, what do you think? So when I was writing the blurb, I was like, what I want to say is that what I felt while reading this book is very enjoyable anxiety. (laughs) Yeah, you wrote something like that, right? Yes, that is what I ended up saying. Because I was like, I don't know if this will sell the book, but it is true. (laughs) Um, Extremely enjoyable anxiety, yeah. mm -mm, That is really what I felt. Uh, And so I also give it a solid solid four Serenas. Nice. That's good. That's great. Mm -hmm. So many Serenas. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I am so grateful for both of you and your time and your insights. It was really fun to talk about this book with you. Me too. Yeah, so much fun. Thanks for having me. All right. Hope you enjoyed this month's book club. If you want to keep the conversation going, feel free to join us over on Goodreads. Just search for Nerd App Book Club. Many thanks to Sarah and Jane and Liz for the voicemails. And of course, to you for listening and reading along. Our September book club pick is The Shadow King, and it's by Maza Mengiste, and I am very excited to read it along with y'all. Of course, you can keep in touch with us on all the other ways, too. We are at Nerdat Podcast on both Instagram and Twitter, and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. If you would like a delightfully curated list of things to cook and read and watch and do, you can get that over at wbez.org slash nerdataf. The show is produced by me, Greta Johnson, along with help from Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. Do your homework. Go read a goddamn book. Or take a nap. I mean, whatever you got to do. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.